Hey, Mike, are you feeling adventurous? As always. Well, so is our guest. Let's have her on tonight. She's called the Wilderness Vet. It's Caroline Murray. Excellent. Hi, I'm Mike Brampton. And my name is Julian Hope. Welcome to Veterinary Ramblings. Julian! So good to see you a hundred years later. Mike, it's lovely to meet you. Hello, Caroline. It's lovely to meet you. You're, you're in New Zealand at the moment? Yeah. Or Australia, or New Zealand. It's, it's tough to keep up with you because you're, you're, you're the adventure traveller vet and you could be anywhere in the world. So... Now, we, we, saw, we saw a picture of you, a little hold picture, while um, we were waiting for you to come on, which was you wearing a Mongolian hat with, a, with an eagle on your, on your arm. Uh, and I noticed that the eagle is now dead and stuffed behind you on the, uh, on the, on the wall. Yeah. So things didn't work out well for the eagle, but did you have a good trip to Mongolia otherwise? I did. Um, the half-dead bird you can see is actually a pheasant that one of the dogs caught a few years ago that's been stuffed. <laughs> um, but Mongolia was totally amazing. Um, the eagle was actually alive when it was on my arm, and they're actually really heavy. It, it died later, yeah. did it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, they actually catch things to eat. It's really incredible to see. Mm. So that's a that's that's a proper that's a proper Mongolian hunting eagle, is it? Yes, exactly that. Yeah. 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 So they actually normally hunt, um, they're on a horse and they have like the reins of the horse in one hand and an eagle on the other hand and the eagle goes and hunts things for them on the top of a mountain. It's quite crazy to see. Um, and they actually have these competitions where um, with the um, eagle hunters and then camels and sometimes the eagle hunters get really drunk and start fighting with an eagle on one arm hitting each other with the whip. <laughs> Lots of vodka and like crazy shirts. Whilst, whilst racing great. across the steps at 100 miles an hour on their little yeah. ponies. Yeah. So I, I understand. They're incredible just, riders, aren't they? It, it incredible. Used be, it used to be spilled or fermented yak milk, but you're suggesting they're all into vodka now? Uh, both. <laughs> okay. Anything with alcohol is good. Fermented um, yak, but actually, no, it's fermented mare's milk, horse milk. Oh, right. Um, to be honest, I get a whiff of it and it makes me want to spew. Um, but they really love it and they also heat it up. And if they don't have any food or they're short of food, they just like drink it in a bowl as a meal. So even the young children have it. And then vodka's a new um, Western introduction <laughs> just to increase the alcohol content. <laughs> Not together. So, so is the. <laughs> Is the average life expectancy pretty good in, uh, in Mongolia or not, not so much? Um, good question. So I think about 60s. Um, I travelled with a friend there a few years ago who was 60, a Kiwi, and we met a Mongolian guy who we thought was about 80, and he was actually 60 as well. So um, they because they have a really rough life, and like especially mm. the herders, like living on the steps, kind of, you know, like survival, um, they don't have like a long lifespan like we do, but they certainly like pack in the action. <laughs> yeah. I, I read a book about T T Temujin. That was uh, Genghis Khan. Genghis Khan. Name, wasn't it? Temujin. Uh, and you know, fascinating lifestyle. That I think the, the herders are still pretty much uh, there, aren't they? They, they, they? they live these nomadic or semi-nomadic lifestyles. 
carrying their yurts around on the, on, on the horses and traveling from pitch to pitch throughout the year. Yes, so that's the amazing thing. Like we're in the 21st century and they're literally almost living like in the days of Genghis Khan, but they now have mobile phones and solar. Um, and I actually saw a Zanussi washing machine in the middle of the Mongolian steppes a few years ago, powered by wind and solar. So they're quite, oh, and they have motorbikes from Russia, um, but they still, they pack up the yurts either on a truck or a camel, depending on where you are. Mm. And still, yeah, each summer and winter, they're in different places because of the grazing. It's quite incredible. So in the winter, it's minus 20, literally armpit deep on the horse's snow. And then in the summer, it can be 40 degrees. So it's huge variation. And they literally just kind of deal with everything. <clears throat> Wow. <laughs> Amazing. Wow. I, 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 always, I always get the impression, Carol, I always have when talking to you, that, that we're halfway through a conversation when we start up and it's difficult to know where, where the best the conversation going forwards or backwards. But uh, let's, let's start with what got you to Mongolia. Um, so, funnily enough, I started reading a book, um, probably similar to what you read, called Genghis Khan and the Making of the Modern World. Mm -hmm. um, yep. And um, just reading about the crazy history of all the tribalness. Um, I've always, when I was little, I used to want to um, live in a tribe on a desert island, and I thought that would be better than doing homework and everything would be really peaceful. <laughs> um, obviously, that's not the case. And sadly, I never got there. Um, but um, I really love countryside and space. And like I have that in New Zealand, but Mongolia is like a whole nother level. Um, there's literally, and I didn't kind of really appreciate until I went there, literally millions of acres of unspoilt wilderness. Um, so you're kind of, it's like roaming free. It's almost like you feel like you're going back to your, you know, sapiens roots of like being the tribal cave people. Um, and um, also I'd heard about the little, well, ponies slash horses there and seen some videos of the incredible riding that they do. Um, and the eagles and I also um, read a book I don't know if you know there's a guy Australian guy called Tim Hope and um, he basically traveled on his own through broke up with a girlfriend decided to go on a bit of a trip <laughs> and went through as you do Hungary Mongolia and a few other Dharni Siberian like places and <laughs> um, um, the locals gave him a dog because they said you need to stuff this in your sleeping bag in the winter otherwise you'll die of hypothermia <laughs> Um, and then he had some pack ponies, and but they kept stealing them, but saying, oh, no, that's actually good because um, we don't steal ponies unless they're really good. And then he'd be like, OK, can I have my ponies back now? So I went to see a talk that he did um, at National Geographic in London, mm -hmm. and it was so brilliant. Um, I thought I have to go there. So that's kind of how I ended up there with my usual thing of how I ended up in New Zealand. Didn't actually know anything about the country, decided that looks like fun. Let's do it. <laughs> so, how long How long were you in Mongolia then, Caroline? I actually went there three times. Right. Um, so I was um, the Mongol Derby. It's like a thousand miles. I think I was there two or three weeks. So there's like preparation for the riders and the horses. And then the race is like a couple of weeks long. But each time, because I didn't really want to go all that way for just three weeks because I like traveling, as you probably know. Um, so I tacked on um, by chance. Uh, this is like what I love about my life. I was in Australia doing some work experience at a zoo talking about Mongolia. And these people said to me, oh, 
we did this brilliant trip in Mongolia with this lady and um, she does these like little kind of eco trips, employs Mongolians, everything's kind of like down to like earth rootsy eco. And so she turned out she was from Cornwall, of course. Um, and so she does all these little trips where she, they're called research trips where they just go and like investigate new places in Mongolia. And so you're basically in a van um, trucking around with some Mongolians doing hiking, bit of horse riding. We did a five day camel trek across the Gobi Desert, which wow. I can tell you is better than any therapy I've ever had. <laughs> just you and the camel like, and it's sweating is that, and being in the desert with nothing really else but sand is a really good way to like sort out stuff in your head. <laughs> sure. It's like a sensory deprivation chamber. Well, Kind of like that plus, but nature. So it's like sensory <laughs> deprivation, but then you're in a big wide space. And they have cell phone reception in the Gobi Desert. And in half of New Zealand, we don't. So I'm still trying to work that out. <laughs> Our camel guy I mean, was on the Sussex phone nearly all the time. <laughs> yeah, we, we have no cell phone reception here in West Sussex. No. <laughs> oh, I haven't, I haven't got a very good cell phone reception in Hampshire either. But I, I'm, I'm getting this picture of this this uh, this sort of, this uh, <coughs> Mongolian herdsman trekking across on his camel, looking at his iPhone. Are you he allowed to drive a camel whilst handling a mobile phone? Well, even even better, Mike. Um, before he um, after we finished the trip, he just necked a couple of beers and then got on his. Um, off the camel onto the motorbike across the desert to go home. <laughs> so I think, you know, this country is where rules are mainly guidelines and that actually is a thing. <laughs> Sounds like my kind of country, that does, that's for yeah, sure. How do we get out there? Can you get another dual nationality, Mike? Can you get Greek, English and Mongolian? And Mongolian. Well, the, I've wanted to do Mongolia for many, many years. I don't know that my partner's that keen on that, but... Uh, Maybe I can convince her. Mind you, she let me. She lets me go off to the Arctic, doesn't she? She does. She does. We need to talk um, about this afterwards. Do, I think we should do a veterinary rambling. Goes to Mongolia. Yeah, yeah. yeah we, we should do that. Sure, well, if we've got yeah. cell phone coverage, then perhaps I could carry on running the company and doing the interviews from uh, from Mongolia. Yeah. A camel. <laughs> yeah. A camel. A camel back. <laughs> Oh man, this is amazing! So we've we've come in halfway through the story. <laughs> we have, we have. I, so, so you you were born in a little village in, and and follow us from there. Um, I was actually born in a little town in Australia called Adelaide. That's now a very big town. <laughs> okay, um, I've heard of it. For which, um, and none of my family are from Australia, but my parents were the ten pound pommies in nineteen seventy. They got a £10 one-way flight to Australia, something we can all only dream about. And my mother was said she was a bit bored because she didn't like working, so she had me. And then after when I was four months old, she decided that she'd had enough of Australia and wanted to leave and was outraged when they told her that um, just because they had British passports, because I was born in Australia, I had to have an Australian passport to leave, for which I am eternally grateful because now I can live in New Zealand and just go backwards and forwards. And, you know, after the Bojo shit show, being Brit British isn't really the greatest thing on earth. So I just reserve that passport for <laughs> when I need it <laughs> to get back in. So the, the political Hang on. Wait, 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 shut up, Julian. The political situation in the UK is known in 
Australia and New Zealand as the Bojo shit show. Uh, is, that's this what, what, <laughs> is this what you're telling me, Caroline? That's what I'm saying. Julian, that's actually quite an uncanny um, resemblance. But well, I, I see that if, we might soon that's about to change it all up. I literally saw today with his 700 billion that he's got already or something. And Downing Street might be slumming it because he's got, you know, mansions in Santa Monica, my dear. <laughs> That's incredible. Well, I mean, if you're going to lay allegations about the Bojo shit show on, on Veterinary Ramblings live, Caroline, I think you should know that we have, on various occasions, you obviously haven't listened to the show, um, introduced one of the UK's great statesmen known... <laughs> Throughout the land and throughout the world for his statesmanlike uh truth-telling and fantastic auditory and author skills. Um, ex-journalist and ex-prime minister of the UK. Can I introduce Caroline Murray? Can I introduce you <laughs> to our one and only Boris Johnson, otherwise known as BJ? So, so, uh, so, so, so Caroline, uh, thank you, thank you very much uh, again, Mike, uh, my, my dear friend, for having me on the uh, the show. Uh, shame Julian's never around when I when I, uh, when I come on. I hear the duffers off to uh, make us some breakfast, but there, there we go. Um, uh, you know, little, little, little portal something for breakfast. Caroline, uh, I hear what you were describing as the, uh, the, the 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 Bojo um, affluent. Uh, Display in in, uh, in in down in down under. I mean, it's not. I have to say, I mean, under the Conservative regime, we we we've managed to achieve uh, quite a lot of shit, uh, quite a lot of uh, success. Uh, the the uh, Brexit, we, I, I pushed through. I pushed through Brexit, but this is I couldn't. Uh, and pushed okay, it out uh, your bottom. Wrongly, <laughs> out, out my bottom. Completely, you're absolutely right. And and, and uh, Northern Ireland uh, will never be right. I I, I admit that. I I made a little error of judgment. I I, I think there. Uh, but by assuming that, Among you know, I, others. <laughs> but uh, I, I, I okay, given time, I, I can make things uh, good for for the for the whole of uh, uh, the whole of the British territories, such as New Zealand and 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 uh, and, and, and and Australia as well, uh, which I, I think I, I think it's, I think it's, I think it's still owned by us uh, <laughs> yeah. in, in, in many ways. BJ, <laughs> BJ, so, sorry to interrupt you there, BJ. I think uh, hey, we've got a new we have a new prime minister now. Um, and you better not go and see if you can get a job. I, I'm, I'm going to go cap in hand and, and see if I can make his tea or, or polish his shoes. Yes, I, it's very important for me to stay in, in Downing Street to keep keep an eye on parties, well, on the party, sure. on the party. Uh, uh, yes. G goodbye. Goodbye. Good show. Thanks for popping in, BJ. See you later, mate. <laughs> Does he not get the 115k a year that Trust got for being here for five seconds? They all get it. Oh, yes. They all get it. But, of yeah. course, Trust will turn it down because that's the honourable thing to do. <laughs> just, yeah, just, like, right. just like our Home Secretary who <laughs> resigned last week because she had breached major security and protocol issues and felt that it was inappropriate for her to maintain her position, so she resigned. Mm -hmm. uh, she was appointed yesterday too. In the same position. Right, now all forgiven. And regarding the so shit show, regarding the shit show, it's yeah. fine because what's happened is we've released all of the restrictions on the water companies, enabling them to pump billions of tons of sewage straight into our rivers into the sea. So there isn't really a shit show to see because we've flushed it all out to the ocean. The shit show is being diluted even as yeah. we speak. It's good for the fish, good for the plants, not so good for the surface.
Wow. Um, and mean, I, meanwhile, in Kiwiland, they're trying to tax the farmers for fart tax. So they're all going to start producing less animals <laughs> and we're not going to have enough food and we're going to have no national food security and we're going to have to import food from the countries that are not helping the climate. Well done, Cindy. <laughs> That's good. That's good. And hope, hopefully you can carry on with your, uh, your the, the New Zealand poisoning thing. But that's another story. We've discussed it before. So, so Caroline, <laughs> Caroline, this, this is fantastic. You're actually a vet, aren't you? I am a vet, although some people don't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> we, we call them clients. <laughs> I identify as the wilderness vet. The wilderness Adventure traveller, yes. Okay. And um, health advocate is my new thing as well because of all the crazy stuff that happened in the last few years. Right. Okay. <laughs> I want to hear about your story as a vet. Yes. So you, you were growing up in Adelaide with, with a mum who didn't want to be there <laughs> and you decided um, at five years old that you wanted to be a vet. Uh, not quite. Go on. <laughs> um, so I left when I was four months old. Um, and my mother, I found recently a letter from my mother complaining to TWA that they didn't have a seat for me on the plane and that I was strapped in a cardboard box to the bulkhead and she was very outraged. And they wrote her a letter <laughs> back saying, maybe you'd like to investigate in some proper, ba- sorry, um, invest in some proper baby carrying gear next time you travel your baby. <laughs> um, <laughs> So then I had, you know, like the young kids today, I kind of feel sorry sorry for them. I think you're kind of similar generation, both of you. I had the idyllic childhood where we basically lived on the estate and ran free um, um, all day. And we used to be in nature and I used to bring back random shriveled up baby birds and nests. And bits of animals to bring home. Frogs, so I knew newts, I wanted... that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yes. No, we didn't really have newt. We didn't have amphibious things, um, but we had yeah earthworms. <laughs> earthworms we used to rescue when it was raining. Very important. <laughs> um, we basically grew up feral, didn't we? <laughs> yes, but it was so good, <laughs> feral and free. <laughs> um, and we came home when we needed food, aka sweets, from our. Um, parents or our neighbours' parents. <laughs> yeah, pretty um, from any stranger who happened to have any. <laughs> that we were told not to talk to. Uh, just take absolutely. the sweets. <laughs> yes, don't, don't, don't take the sweets and run. You have the sweets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, running wild, feral on the estate, <laughs> and uh, then you thought, I want to be a vet. Um, so then I thought my parent, my mother introduced me to horse riding. Well, she basically said we're doing horse riding. So then I decided I wanted to be a really famous show jumper. But I was actually really scared of jumping. So that didn't work out. So then I decided get to go back to the animal care thing. And it mm. wasn't really till I was a teenager that I decided I wanted to actually be a vet um, after I did some clinical experience at the local vet. Um but, um, yeah, so I really like helping people and looking after animals. But obviously, like you were saying about the clients, didn't realise that there's this thing called psychology of communication and conflict, which they conveniently don't teach you at that school. They, they, they don't. Well, when, 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 when we did and it, business. they didn't know that it was a thing. Why, why, would, no why would you need to learn that? Yeah, exactly. You're a vet. <laughs> yes. We, we issue commands. We didn't have a discussion. Yeah, <laughs> superior to all other known living forms of man. 
We apart tell people public, what to do, not apart vice Apart from versa. public politicians and lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> Who make interesting clients. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they would, wouldn't they? Yes, can you imagine treating Boris Johnson's cat? Mm. Anyway, we'll move on, from, move on from that. So you, you became a vet. You became yeah. a vet. And then you uh, had the misfortune of meeting me and uh, decided what I don't want to do is to uh, live in the country that Julian's in. Uh, I want to go away and uh, preferably uh, hide in the, in, in the midst of uh, the Gobi Desert. Is that pretty much it? <laughs> Kind of it, yeah. So I reckon yeah. um, part of the reason, you know, thing I blame my genetics um, because all of my family, although I was brought up in England, um, all of my family are not from England. So they're all kind of like roaming and foreign and they all came to England, my grandparents as refugees. So I think it's actually in my blood to just travel and travel around. <laughs> And so, so you've always had the wanderlust, or or that just developed? Um, pretty much always, yes. But obviously, I didn't really have any money until I started working to indulge the wanderlust. <laughs> so I had to wait mm. till I was at university to start doing that. Um, which actually was brilliant. The first opportunity I got was uh, third year after third year vet school. I decided I didn't really like narrow minded vet school, and I needed to do something else for a year. So I managed mm -hmm. to blag a £10,000 um, Glaxo research scholarship. Um, so I had 10 weeks in Cornell, which I actually feel I should still apologise to my professor for because I still have no idea about research. I used to pour my agar gels and they hadn't set properly and they just go all over the bench and onto the floor <laughs> and used to despair. I know why that is. <laughs> the That's secret ingredient? Um, is L-asparagine. Shortened to oh. L asp, and most vet, most texts will say that L asp is L aspartic acid. Oh. So consequently, your agar gel was probably too acidic because instead of oh. putting in the peptide L aspart thingy, you put in L aspartic acid. I know that because I did that mistake as well. Ah, oh. well, all I know it was the, it was very liquid, and my yeah. professor was not happy. Yeah, I couldn't get it to set. <laughs> I couldn't get mindset. I was doing a, a, a fungi study on uh, Derbyshire, Derbyshire fungi, and um, you do. couldn't get couldn't get my agar to set. And spookily, the spores that I'd actually been able to go and find, I couldn't get to grow either mm. because the pH mm. was wrong. Okay. Anyway, so um, the upside of the ten thousand pounds that Glaxo kindly gave me was that after the ten weeks of um, complete failure of research i got to travel around um, america for six weeks on amtrak which was like one of the most amazing things i've ever done wow <laughs> and that's Excellent. how it all began <laughs> again completely clueless i just looked on the map and decided this place looked like fun and got a ticket there <laughs> 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 which is kind of you, how my life is still rolling so you, you you're always so incredibly positive caroline that's what i always found out about you but uh, are you are you always a positive person? Have you always been positive? Um, no, in a short answer. So I've had some really dark, challenging times with work and personal things. But over the last year, on my constant, you know, as vets, we're always researching how can I fix this shit, especially if there's something wrong with you. So we Google it and go from there. And so I found just through some random friends, you know, um, sorry, going backwards a tiny bit. 
I think things always happen for a reason and you always eventually find what you need. And I came across NLP um, and I have to say it's really been a big game changer for that's, reframing the brain. That's um, so neuro-linguistic neuro- programming, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah neurolinguistic programming. So it basically reframes and rejigs your actual circuits in your brain. So to think in a more positive way and to overcome all the limiting beliefs that you have when you're little, which most of us vets have, like we're not good enough, imposter syndrome and low self-esteem, which mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. nearly all perfectionist A-type personality vets have. And that's why we end up in a lot of problems. <laughs> I think you're absolutely right. We, we, we put these unreasonable demands on ourselves, don't we? Yeah. yeah. Um, and other people, I've been told, high expectations. No. <laughs> like when I say. It's because most other people are rubbish. <laughs> well, when I keep saying, recently, when I kept saying to the physio, why can't people just do their job? She said, um, you know, you've got unreasonable expectations of yourself and others. And I said, no, I just expect people to do what they're employed to do. <laughs> it's it pretty seem, simple. Which seems reasonable. <laughs> yeah. It's reasonable to me. <laughs> that seems open to interpretation of what people are actually supposed to do, apparently. I, I, I think um, I think the guidelines <laughs> are broadening these days, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and a- actually, um, the New Zealand Vet Council, to their credit, um, have just changed the CPD requirements. So instead of watching 251 webinars a year, which, as we know, doesn't really help you, um, or get you any extra pay because no one really cares how many certificates you've got, although they've each cost you about £10,000 each. Mm-hmm. Um, you can now do well-being as part of your CPD. So I'm doing my NLP as my vet CPD because they're trying to address, you know, like the suicide rate and that we actually need to try and look after ourselves, not everyone else and their animals. So that's a really positive thing. Yeah, that's great. That's really good. Mm. Mm. Sadly, the RCVS don't listen to the uh, veterinary ramblings, so uh, and they they don't they don't look beyond the uh, the shores of the UK to see what other countries might be doing to benefit the vets that uh, that are in their care. Totally well, aware of that problem. <laughs> it, it, it's an evolving subject, isn't it? Mind Matters Initiative, yeah, running the RCVS, and I think yeah, hopefully there'll be some changes. That, that are quite tangible for the whole profession Ooh. soon. But, but it seems like a great move, doesn't it? That sounds Maybe like Julian's yeah. got his job at the RCVS finally. <laughs> I think one of the issues with my matters, and to be fair, like the New Zealand Vet Council, apart from this, mm. has been very similar as in not really supporting us, is that it doesn't matter how many webinars about sleep, nutrition, and how to look after yourself you watch. If you're still being expected to work 60 hours a week and being flogged to death within an inch of your life, and having two hours to no sleep on call. So there has to be some kind of balance. Employers need to take some responsibility at some point for how they treat their staff. And what I've noticed is that um, people who look after their staff are not short of staff. It's pretty simple. It's not rocket science. (laughs) And the people who constantly have vacancies um, don't look after their staff. (laughs) But if there were not not vacancies, would you not struggle to get your locum jobs? Well, interesting question, Mike. I have still, even though there is a shortage here in my hometown, I've been refused part-time work because I don't have children, even though they're desperately short of vets. And I've been told by several multi-billion dollar corporates that I'm charging too much money and they wouldn't be able to make any money if they paid me my hourly rate. 
So I think people sometimes what? create their own problems. So, so just you, you <laughs> didn't get a job because you haven't got children? No. They told me that there was no scope for part-time people and I could work 10 hours a day or not at all. So I chose the not at all. Thank you very much. <laughs> I see. So you're only allowed to work part-time if you have children. Um, two out of three of the clinics in the town where I live had that attitude. So I discovered this when I had a really horrendous like lumbar disc injury and was in severe pain and couldn't work eight hours. And so I tried to get part-time work. And then I actually got a letter from another clinic saying, um, how dare you email us and tell you what hours and days you can work. If we employ a locum, they will work five days a week, 10 hours a day, the weekend on call, and then continue the next week. And so I said, well, good luck finding a locum. <laughs> so people aren't really learning here the lessons. And I think the public just really aren't aware of what's going on in the background. <clears throat> no, all they see is the, uh, the smiling face of the vet that eventually <laughs> sees them, even though that smile is brought upon by too much coffee. And uh, <laughs> and after they've finished crying the in the toilet for 10 minutes or right. sometimes in the store cupboard because there is someone in the toilet. <laughs> yeah, already crying, already crying. <laughs> yes. I, I, you mentioned there that you, you injured your lumbar disc. And I'm, I'm mm. intrigued here because now I've got images. I've only just met you, Caroline, but I've already got <laughs> images that you you probably fell off a camel whilst fighting a kangaroo and <laughs> and juggling chimpanzees. <laughs> and spookily, your back didn't take it. I would really love to have that story. And the chimpanzees is a whole other story, not involving the back. Okay. Um, but very boring. Um, I came back to New Zealand. So I had to leave New Zealand because my dad was really ill, like terminally ill, and thought I was going to be away for six months. So just packed everything up really hurriedly. And um, luckily, by chance, my friends had a, a big container to put it in. And then five and a half years later, got back after my dad passed away and lots of really horrendous traumatic things that happened very broken to discover that my friend's um, container wasn't really well ventilated and all my, nearly all my stuff had gone moldy. So I had to spend two weeks lugging boxes around and sorting everything out. And that's how I injured my back <laughs> um, because I didn't really have anyone to help me. So very boring story with very, really not nice consequences. <laughs> yeah. So, so mm. Do you feel up to telling us about these consequences? Um, yes. So um, after the injury, I had, I already had a thing. So in 2008, I had a really bad wrist fracture in Alaska. A whole nother story. Um, that that was got, wrestling with polar bears. Uh, really similar. Um, husky um, sled dogs. Got skidooed to the local hospital via a plane and a few other dogs stuffed under my seat. <laughs> um, anyway, as a result of that, so it was a really bad fracture of like my distal radius end of the here. <laughs> um, <laughs> and um, so I got um, this thing called chronic regional pain syndrome after that. So for seven months, I had really horrific nerve pain was in New Zealand at the time, kept asking everyone, why does it still hurt? They kept telling me the pain's in your head. We don't know. And mm -hmm. it wasn't diagnosed until four years later, after a cow kicked the plate and bent it, they told me it wasn't possible for the plate to bend and it bent it into my tendon. So then I was really screaming in pain. 
And then I went to see a UK orthopedic surgeon and he kind of looked at me in abject horror, like you've done after this story and said, have you heard of chronic regional pain syndrome? Um, because I think that's what you've got. But really, unfortunately, it wasn't diagnosed in New Zealand. So that's still been a problem. So um, roll on a year and a half. They told me it would mm-hmm. take six weeks to get back to work. And it actually took me a year and a half because it was really horrifically painful. And I had a lot of weakness. Um, but I managed to get back to like really good use of like carving and everything. So I was very lucky because the surgery was done in Alaska. And then 2019, I had the um, lumbar injury and had some really bad mistreatment by some chiropractors, some acupuncture people, and basically like ruptured the disc worse. So for two months, I couldn't really move, literally couldn't get out of bed, was curled up in a ball, was on seven painkillers, nothing was working. Then I was told painkillers will only do so much, you just need to harden up pains in your head. Ended up in hospital on fentanyl, ketamine, paracetamol, tramadol, paracetamol, ibuprofen, and another drug, still in unbearable pain, which was when I realized I had my aha moment. I met a guy who had been in the army and he'd had a motorbike accident and had broken bones. As I was shuffling past him, sniveling on my ketamine drip, he was having no painkillers. And he told me that he in the army had learned to block out pain with his brain. And even the nurses kept trying to shove paracetamol and stuff down him. And he was like, no, he looked really uncomfortable, as you would mm. with broken ribs. But he was like dealing with it with no drugs. And that kind of set off my whole brain pain journey. Um, so for two years, I couldn't really sit down. I couldn't stand up. Um, I had nearly two years off work because no one would give me part time work. I had to leave my job. And on top of that, as if that wasn't bad enough, I got given a drug called pregabalin, which is mm-hmm. the trade name is Lyrica um, in some places. And mm-hmm. in some, um, for some people, it's a really good painkiller. Unfortunately, for tens of thousands of others, um, it's really bad for you and actually causes brain damage. And for me, it disrupted all my hypothalamus and pituitary function. So my thyroid tanked. I wasn't really working. My estrogen went off the charts. So, you know, estrogen, not good for females. Off the charts, really crazy. I went completely mad. I was crying all the time. I was really angry. Doctors kept telling me nothing was wrong. Um, We won't do any blood tests because we don't need to. Then I had some really horrendous gynecological problems that you probably don't want to hear about on this program. Anyway, long story short, after a year of like... (laughs) Literally being unable to function or even get out of bed. I had to have a hysterectomy um, because the, it was so serious and then had another, they told me I'd be better after six weeks of that and it took me six months. So it's literally only been honestly the last 12 months maybe that I felt like a human being again and I still got hormonal problems. And then I discovered, um, you know, doing the research that we do mm-hmm. that this drug is actually banned in certain countries And there was lots of class action lawsuits against the manufacturers in the States because so many people had really severe permanent brain damage. So I was lucky my like kind of brain zappiness and craziness Mm. calmed down, but I've still got some really major problems. (laughs) Um, But that's how I got into NLP and everything because I just kind of disintegrated mentally with all that, (laughs) especially with the doctors telling me that nothing was wrong for two years. Yeah. I can see how that might be a little frustrating. Yeah, problematic, um, and, and I couldn't and, work. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm 
over overawed by by that, uh, and, and uh, my my sympathies for your struggle in the last couple of years with that uh, awful awful journey to to have. But it sounds like you've you've really uh, adopted the physician heal thyself attitude on that, haven't you? And then yeah, uh, you 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 gave us a little uh, little email, spiel. Before, a little spiel, uh, telling us a little bit about that, but but not not quite in in as graphic a uh, <laughs> what you have just now wow actually i realized that less drugs and more brain um things to work on with your brain is actually the way to go and that was what really revolutionized everything even so um one of the books that i'd recommend anyone reading it's just one of the first books i read is called um finding peace in a frantic world and it's by the i think john kabat-zinn it's about mindfulness and meditation and they talk about the raisin meditation and the chocolate meditation. So put a raisin in your mouth and like, how does it feel? How does it um, like taste? Can you smell it? And just little things, which I was like, this is completely ridiculous. But that's kind of how I started from just really small <laughs> things. Because one of the problems is when you're in such unbearable pain that you literally need to be unconscious with drugs because your brain, like you can't deal with it. It's kind of difficult to focus on anything mm -hmm. else. So it took a really long time to get past that. But then I realized, and actually the pain specialist told me, in the medical world, they're very behind. And I recently went to this brilliant brain, uh, sorry, pain symposium. And they basically said that doctors don't really know about pain and they're not taught about it. And mm. now I feel like I'm kind of really an expert on what I had because the doctors don't really understand it. Um, so. We need to stop giving all the drugs because giving lots of opioids, which they often do, opens up the little pain channels and then you get really chronic pain. So it's good for really acute pain to kind mm. of like try and nip it in the bud. But if you keep giving it for a really long time, like lots of people on tramadol for years, actually, it's really bad for you. And when I stopped the tramadol, the gabapentin and all the really strong drugs, I had no difference in my pain levels, which was really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Mm. That is, that is so, interesting. I'm, I'm intrigued by this um, raisin and chocolate meditation. Does it does it work with gin? Play <laughs> anything that you really like. Okay. So I've actually so you, just you sort of hold it in your mouth for a while and just think. Yes. <laughs> yes. So I'll instead of gargling, later. gargling some gin or some chocolate. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Two of my favourite things. So you things. can actually say it's medicinal, Mike. <laughs> well, I'm going to go for some good therapy later on, I'll tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it might be, might be hard, hard just holding it in the mouth. From, uh, <laughs> I'll you might, try. You've got to swallow occasionally to refresh yeah. it a little yeah. bit. Yeah, I'll try my so, best. You, you mentioned something else in, in your uh, email. Um, Kintsugi. Have I pronounced it right? Oh, yes. Um, so what I've done is I'm literally in the process of setting up like a little holistic health community where I want to do um, like help people, especially kind of like 40 plus year old women who are having issues with their hormones and brain and pain stuff, because all of that is connected. And I'm calling it jigsaw tribes because we're all a jigsaw made up of lots of little pieces. And if they don't fit together really well, then the whole thing is just a mess. 
and tribe because everyone has like really wants to belong. That's everyone has human beings have innate need to belong. And so Kintsugi is I discovered this really brilliant thing. It's a Japanese um, like a principle. And it's so instead of like saying I'm really broken. So what they do is they get broken like clay or terracotta pots and they join them together with um, gold. So mm-hmm. all the gold is in the crack. So they actually celebrate the crack and the broken bits and actually mm. putting things back together is a really good thing so we're I, not actually really broken we're healing I did the same thing <laughs> recently to a butter dish that i dropped mm. did you put gold in the broken bit yes <laughs> yes <laughs> Some, wow. somebody broke somebody broke one of my tower of london poppies <gasps> no the poppy oh. now has gold veins running through the leaves on the on the poppy, yeah. Very yeah. Cool. Wow. I think I just saw a picture of it on, on the internet, but I didn't realise it was a Kintsugi. I have to say it's not real gold. It's um, uh, airfix gold paint. Other uh, other, other humble enamel paints are, are available, but there we go. Wow. I only discovered it recently, but I thought it's a really good kind of, I don't know what the word is, not phenomenon. It's like, you know, celebrating that you're being put back together, not concentrating yeah. on the bad brokenness. Are we yes. going to see the Tower of London now, Mike? <laughs> here's, here's one of my latest projects. Oh, very wow, nice. Wow, that's literally it. <laughs> there you go. And I've got powdered gold that I mix into the resin and put it all together. I think it's a so, wonderful thing. To so now the, the, the listeners can't see what, what Carolyn just saw, which was uh, a rather <laughs> nice broken enamel bowl or pottery <laughs> bowl that, uh, that Mike is, is fixing using the, uh, the ancient Japanese art of Kintsugi. But I'm loving the concept of applying this to humans and to, to healing and, and, and the mind. So, well, well, that's because... People get a bit upset if you smash their head repeatedly on the floor so it breaks and then try and put it back together with gold. Yeah, you know I think it's the same result. That. <laughs> Is that where Several I'm Several conversations with the police later. Yes, yes, officer, I understand it now. And, th- and then you're back to doing it again, aren't you, Mike? Yeah. But, but I'll get lots of time to practice my kintsugi in the prison, won't I? <laughs> yes, you will. Yeah. And jigsaws as well. I'm, I'm a bit chuffed, actually, because I've just... Uh, uh, I just finished a recent jigsaw puzzle. Just finished it yesterday, and I was really pleased. It took me two two years to do it. Wow! Was what was it of? Um, it was just a little Disney one, and it said three to four years on the other side of the. <laughs> oh, box. well done, mate! So I just did it in two. It's fantastic. That's fantastic. Well done. That's really good. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> really good. Well done. i think jigsaws are actually one of the things that it says are really good for your brain um because they just distract it from everything else so actually lots of adults even in new zealand i've noticed are starting to use jigsaws again (laughs) so tell us about i'm going to pronounce this wrong i'm sure ubuntu or ubuntu oh ubuntu yes so ubuntu is a zulu concept that means humanity which is basically everyone belongs and how like our relationship with ourselves is based on how we get on with other people. So that's one of the other little principles of my Jigsaws tribe, because one of the things um, that people find if they're in chronic pain or chronically injured or, you know, with mental health challenges, as most of us who've been on the phone to vet life at some point feel, 
is that we're really alone in our suffering. But actually, when you kind of like poke your head over the parapet, there's often whatever random thing is wrong with you. There's often lots of other people who have a similar thing. Um, so it's just about helping each other and supporting each other and being like a giant family, which, you know, like mm. Africans need to um, function as a tribe to survive. And in the book, I don't know if you've read the book Sapiens, it basically says how when we yes. were, but what he was saying is like our mental health and kind of general um, uh, goodness of health of civilizations was much better when we were all tribes helping each other. Um, and now we've all gone to capitalist selfish greed. It's not really so good mm -hmm. no. <laughs> as we see. So, Caroline, we, we we feel the need, Mike and I, to put you under a little pressure because we know that with your neurolinguistic programming, <laughs> your NLP, well, you, you, can, you, can take, you can take a bit of stress in your life. So, have you heard of a little part of our programme called 60 Second CPD? Yeah, and I actually timed it and was a bit over 60 seconds, so I have to talk really fast. <laughs> really, really fast. So what, what happens is a, an electronic axe comes out of your screen and... Uh, Chops your nose off if you go on more than a second beyond that. So yeah. if you're up okay. to, to the challenge, we'd love to hear a 60 second CB. Okay. This is My your time. Timer. So, so Caroline Murray on Veterinary Ramblings, 60 seconds on the brain and pain starts. Oh, sorry. Oh, oh, stop, stop, stop. Oh, no. Oh, that was yeah. a disaster. <laughs> you, you've already been disadvantaged. I, pre I pressed the button at the wrong time. Oh, God. <laughs> bloopers outtake. Caroline Murray. <laughs> 60 seconds on the brain and pain, starting now. Okay, great. Um, so things that can affect the brain and pain, adverse child experiences and intergenerational trauma can actually change your DNA and cause increased pain if you have traumas. Things that can help with your brain and pain, singing, playing music loudly, um, laughter, yoga, and if you're a child, um, breastfeeding and having some singing and music um, actually really help. Things that are not good for the brain and pain, low vitamin D, thyroid, low thyroid, high estrogen, gluten, dairy and caffeine. Things that can really help with the brain and pain. Heat, so like sitting in a sauna if you really like heat, or for other people cold, splashing cold water on your wrist, face or humming and um, getting out of your brain into your body so movement wow done perfect <laughs> pass on so it's amazing you, you didn't mention gym but that, that was otherwise i think fairly comprehensive <laughs> in that one minute i've got an hour's worth of topics i want to ask you about yes at, at least an hour's worth um, i think we can gloss over Certain bits of it because we're too old. But, um, <laughs> I don't see. It. I don't understand why why breastfeeding should be limited to children. <laughs> what? <laughs> Oops! Oh, I'm sorry. Perhaps we'll be able to cut that bit. <laughs> it's a discussion we wouldn't have if this was the evening because Mike and I just you know, haven't had our breakfast yet. <laughs> actually that was one of the most fascinating cpd talks that i saw there's a woman who actually gets paid to sing and play the guitar um next to um a lady 
who's got um, her child breastfeeding um, while it's having little um, medical procedures done. And that's her actual job. <laughs> we are in the wrong profession. <laughs> we, we really are. Maybe someone will pay me to, uh, to pay my didgeridoo to people who are having operations. Got it. Hang on a minute. Next time I go into human theatres to look at anaesthesia, I'm going to take my drum kit and I'm going to tell them to dispense with all of these drugs. I'm going to play drums <laughs> during surgery and the patient will be fine. Honest. Um, actually, I can have my harmonica um, around my neck. A New Zealand, really fascinating, literally about two weeks ago, a New Zealand um, cardiothoracic surgeon um, posted on LinkedIn that they had, um, I think it's a Maori or Islander patient, and all their kind of relatives came in and did this, I don't know what the exact word is, like cultural sing-song thing. Mm-hmm. And um, because they were like possibly going to die during the surgery and the patient had like amazing clinical outcomes and recovered really well. And um, they think it's because, you know, the mental the effects on the brain of the singing and calming just before anesthesia. So it's so fascinating. That's incredible. <laughs> Isn't it? There are so many ways that we can we can modulate all of our perceptions, and of course, pain is uh, yeah. is, is a perception which, which is uh, perhaps sparked by by afferent neurons telling mm-hmm. us that, that something is 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 nasty, is noxious, is painful. But but it's how we perceive that pain that that, that gives us the bad experience of it. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Some people and, and like also- it. Amazing CBD. <laughs> We're all also, you know, like the singing and the guitar thing. We're all we're all getting away from big pharma and the Western stuff and coming back to the natural stuff that everyone was doing several hundred thousand years ago. That now is like, oh, let's rediscover what we knew actually worked several centuries ago. Um, but big pharma doesn't like that because it's free, <laughs> and you're not <laughs> buying their drugs. <laughs> no, it's true. This is true. Yeah, that's, that was fabulous. Hey, Julian, have you got a CPD certificate? You know, by, by pure by pure coincidence, as, as we've had our sixty second CPD, have you got a CPD certificate for it? I, I have. Look, it's it's right here. Oh, fantastic! Okay. It says, "Wow!" It says, "Certificate <laughs> of Certificate of Adventuresomeness," and this certifies that travel broadens the mind and slims the wallet. But we should all do it anyway. And it says, "What makes you glow?" There, and that there's some pictures. So here we go. And this is, I couldn't find a picture of a jigsaw puzzle in my photo collection, but here is a rock that's essentially a jigsaw puzzle. And these are, this is a rock on, um, on a beach in Dorset, and, and it's a sort of hard clay rock that over the centuries has become frozen and thawed and frozen and thawed so many times, it looks a bit like a, like a honeycomb of, of cracks, and they're, they're incredibly beautiful. Uh, this is. This is a waterfall on Kinder Scout that, that flows. I don't know if you can see it. it it's actually flowing uphill. Mm-hmm. It's called Kinder Downfall, and there's always such a breeze blowing up the valley that the waterfall gets blown upwards rather than falling down. So you know, I'm widely travelled Dorset to uh, to the peaks. Uh, there's a desert. I thought you might uh, like a picture of a desert there to remind you of, uh, of the Gobi. And there's a, there's a wallaby. Uh, there's a couple. Is that a kangaroo? I think that's a kangaroo, Julian. No, it's a, it's a wallaby. It's a you wallaby. Sure? It's at, uh, yeah, because I, 
Marwell's they're, they're rooming free at a place uh, just down the road from uh, a stately, stately home down the road from us. Released them into their gardens a couple hundred years ago. They're, they're running free around there. That looks just uh, like that one that attacked me. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? And, and, there's, yeah. and we haven't got onto your chimpanzees yet. But I thought there's a couple of pictures of a couple of chimpanzees. Wow! Chimpanzees. Can you scan that and email it to me? No. I'm going to put it on my wall. I can do that. <laughs> I can certainly do that. I'm going to send it as part of my yearly CPD I, to the New Zealand Met Council. Yes. <laughs> I don't need to scan it because I I did the original on my computer, so I can just email that to you. That's probably amazing. Easiest. <laughs> I'll do that. I'll do that. That's <laughs> I, I want to hear what the New Zealand Vet Council think of our CPD. I think I think we've got material here for another. Yeah. <laughs> session down the line and I don't want to ruin all that material because we haven't touched on chimpanzee which I know you're you're, you're very close to aren't you you, you supported charity I, I don't mean genetically <laughs> genetically <laughs> <laughs> do you think you could introduce that slightly better Julian try not to be insulted I thought I did have that. a bit of extra facial hair recently it's just the light it's, it's fine actually <laughs> 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 yeah, I've got a funny story about that but can I just squeeze in yeah, um, before I, I get yeah. to the charity thing, um, yeah. after I'd done my first amazing chimpanzee stint in Western Africa, so the way you have to actually let a, a chimpanzee examine you is pretend you're grooming it because obviously they don't like you prodding it or doing injections or interfering. So what you have to do when they groom each other, they do this, like look through the fur. And so <laughs> when I, I, I was there for three months in my first visit, and um, the first week back at work in my normal job in the Welsh borders, a guy brought his dog in. And subconsciously, as I was examining the dog, I was putting <laughs> around in its hair. And he looked at me like he wasn't quite sure if I'd lost the plot or not, <laughs> because I was still in chimpanzee. And when I said, oh, sorry, I'm still in like, you know, chimpanzee mood, that didn't really improve the situation much. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yes, um, I support a charity um, just uh, that I'd really like to plug called Sanaga Yong um, Chimpanzee um, Rescue Centre. I think that's the um, exact kind of the name of it. Um, it's on mm -hmm. Facebook and it's based in Bertwa in east of Cameroon, which is in West Africa, literally in the jungle. And it's quite an amazing place. So the whole place is run on solar um, that runs all their electric um and um they've just got kind of like running water and it's very basic but very beautiful and they do quite an incredible job of um rearing so all the chimpanzees are orphaned um unfortunately lots of um wildlife trafficking and also lots of logging so they kill the parents um so there's a lot of various ages there in and they've got really big enclosures so kind of like part of the jungle and then eventually they rehabilitate them they're looking for like a larger area so and it's run by an incredible and very young english girl called jodie priest who pretty much single-handedly um organizes everything um in the middle of nowhere she's quite incredible and so I just like to alert people to that charity. They always desperately need funding, but they're also really great um, to volunteer at. They've got beautiful, beautiful little cabins that you can stay in um, and you can help feed and look after chimpanzees. And it's pretty incredible experience. 
<coughs> so is that is that sounds amazing? So do they require vet skills? Um, so you can go, you can be a vet, um, but they also just take normal people who are not vets, mm -hmm. um, just who want to work with animals. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, just to add, it is a really tropical country. It's in West, um, uh, West, uh, sorry, East Cameroon, which is in West Africa. <laughs> um, so it's really hot and really humid. So you need to have lots of jabs and take lots of anti-malarials. <laughs> um, but it's quite an incredible experience. That's absolutely brilliant. Listen, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to have to very sadly say that uh, I, I, I think... We probably ought to be saying, if our listeners have enjoyed the show, don't forget to log in, click like, share, subscribe, because it really does help. And um, I'm going to throw the, the invitation open. If you'd like us to cover anything else with Caroline in another episode, then please drop us a line and we'll ask her some of those questions because we've scratched the surface on so many things this, this show. And uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Really Car has. Caroline Murray. Thank you very, very much for joining us on Veterinary Ramblings. And if I could wish you, may your dog go with you. May your dog go with you. Cheers. Thank you very much. It was lovely to talk to you, Bo. <laughs> ah, brilliant stuff. And cut. Wow. Ah, oh, Caroline. That, that's amazing. Um, <laughs> you, you've got such a fascinating story. And it's it's a real privilege to, the, to be able to listen to that story. It, we it really, really enjoy it. Really it really is. It really is. And, and I think a lot of people who who listen to the show uh, listen because whether they admit it or not, they want to get some advice and they want to feel better. They want to oh. uh, be uplifted or, or they want to learn new techniques for for living. And I think you've given them all of that. Yeah, so absolutely. Thanks.